are coming back to you with another episode of the Gailey Podcast. I'm your co-host, Alex Myers. And I'm your host, Robin Dorner, and the Editor-in-Chief of the Gailey. Today, we are talking to Toby Jenkins, the Executive Director of Oklahomans for Equality, better known as OKEQ, and their Deputy Director, Jose Vega. Oklahomans for Equality is an LGBT advocacy group based in Tulsa at the Dennis Arneal Equality Center. So let's learn more about their work and jump right into it. Thank you guys for just being on the podcast, first and foremost. I guess my first question would be, tell us a little bit about Oklahomans for Equality. Who started the organization and what's its purpose? So here's information that you probably are not aware of. It was actually started by, um, and Robin, you'll have to help me with his name. He was a civil rights attorney in Oklahoma City. Yes, I know who you're talking Roger, about. Is it Rogers, Bill Rogers. Bill Rogers, that's it. Yeah. So Charles Fadre, who was a world-renowned interior designer, he was called the interior designer for uh, the oil barons. He had a shop at Shepherd's Mall in Oklahoma City, and one day a real handsome fella came in, and. Um, uh, met with him and asked to see him in his office, flirting with him and took him in the office and he pulled out a badge and he said, if you, we have reason to believe you're a homosexual, if you'll give me the name of 10 other homosexual men in Oklahoma City, you won't go to jail. And so Charles Fadre refused to do that. He contacted Bill Rogers and Charles Fadre and Bill Rogers and several other activists started uh, what became Oklahomans for Human Rights. And it was based in Oklahoma City. Dennis Neal, the founder of our organization, was a young attorney who had experienced discrimination himself in the workplace, but he was aware of the work they were doing down there. And so he partnered with them and started a chapter here in Tulsa. And so uh, we were the chapter, we were the Tulsa chapter of Oklahomans for Human Rights. Um, Eventually, that organization in Oklahoma City had folded, and this chapter was then kind of a standalone uh, chapter, and we became Tulsa Oklahomans for Human Rights um, in uh, 1982, and eventually became Oklahomans for Equality. So it was founded by Dennis Neal because of the work that Bill Rogers and folks like Charles Fadre. And so we're sitting here in this room, and less than 30 feet from us is the Charles Fadre boardroom, uh, which is done in his honor when we bought this building. It was the very first piece of uh, real estate that we rehabbed, and it was two closets, and the windows were boarded up, and it had shag carpet and wood walls, and um, Charles Fadre renovated it in two weeks, and so it was the very first property we had no idea this story I just told you until we interviewed Charles Fadre after he had been diagnosed with terminal cancer. We just knew him from Tulsa. We didn't realize that he and Bill Rogers started Oklahomans for Human Rights in response to what we consider police brutality and them targeting uh, gay men and arresting them. So today the organization um, uh, operates the Dennis Arnell Equality Center and has chapters across the state and we've been doing this for 40 years, seeking equal rights for lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer, plus individuals and their families. And how does the organization try to document LGBT history? I know, like you said, the founders ex themselves experienced uh, discrimination. 
Is there people at your organization that try to document these cases that have been happening for decades in Oklahoma? Yeah, we, um, so for several years, and, and uh, Robin's been very uh, critical piece to this, uh, especially with the Gailey. Um, uh, our organization has what we call the, the Dennis Neal, John Southern History Archives. And so for about 20 years, we've been archiving uh, LGBTQ history in Oklahoma. And in the last year, through a private uh, foundational grant, we were able to buy state-of-the-art equipment where we can digitize um, and metadata where we can archive that. And so we've really ramped that up. We have several history interns uh, from OSU and OU who are able to be doing this work underneath that grant. And um, you'll see like tomorrow night, we'll have the OKQ history lecture. We have that happen about every two weeks. We'll pick a different topic. We'll pull stuff from our archives and then we'll try to pull in individuals who lived through that experience. Uh, like a couple of weeks ago, we did the story about the AIDS quilts and some of the folks from Oklahoma who were actively involved in the names project being started in Oklahoma, but also helped with the uh, uh, AIDS quilts being on display in Washington, DC. And out of that, one, an individual who had had a brother die of AIDS and had been very involved, she decided to donate her, her um, collection uh, to the Equality Center. So we have that happen about every two weeks. Somebody just walks in and they, especially our older adults who are saying, you know, we just wanna do this. And then every Tuesday, Morgan Allen, our center director, she video interviews an LGBTQ older adult and gets their story and their perspective about, uh, so right now I think we have about 70, mm -hmm. 70. And those eventually will be able to be on our website where you can download them and uh, listen to them. So. Um, and then how'd you guys uh, stumble upon this position and how has working at the center changed your perspective on LGBTQ plus Oklahomans? Yeah, I, now, Clarify that because I'm gonna. I want Jose. I told him. Like, what? How'd you guys learn about this position? The position. Work working here. The job. At the Equality Center. Mm -hmm. That's re like really a question. <laughs> Go, Jose. You tell him your story. Oh, <laughs> um. So I wasn't from the beginning or anything, but uh, I always knew about the center growing up. I knew about the LGBT community, pride, and so forth, but I was 20, 21, 21 or 22, and um, still kind of interested in having fun and doing my own thing. Um, I, was out, I was out at a bar, a gay bar, with two friends of mine, and these two friends are undocumented, but they have their passports from their country. So we're at this gay bar, give my Oklahoma ID, they give their passports, and the door person asked, where's the stamp that proves that they're here legally? Oh, and I asked, I was like, well, we're here for, we're here for a drink. And this is a bar, not Homeland Security. She's like, yeah, but I need to have proof that they're here legally. I was like, well, it's racist of you to ask for anybody's legal status. And she's like, it's not racist. I said, well, is your manager available? Manager comes down, it was her son. And he threatened and said, if you guys don't leave, I'm, I'm gonna call immigration on you. And so that was just hurtful and attack on, and I just didn't understand how a marginalized community would marginalize another community. 
And um, that was on Saturday. And on, sun on Sunday, I knew about that you could file complaints at the center. So Sunday, I called the center, uh, filed a complaint. I think I remember speaking with you or somebody who took a message. Then Toby had called me, gave him the story, and that he would speak with his lawyers, um, with the board members. Um, that Monday, at that time, I worked at the Tulsa World. I was assistant to the executive editor. And I had mentioned to her the uh, negative experience that, I, that me and my friends have experienced this weekend. And she had mentioned and said, if they don't apologize to you by the end of the week, we're gonna run a front page story. And so I let Toby know. And um, behind the scenes and all of that, Toby and I, like I felt as well, until we and I spoke, I knew that if it would out was it out publicly like that, it would um, give it would give a couple steps back to the LGBTQ community and movement on that aspect and why hurt or um, damage that. But we did meet with them. I believe it was a Wednesday or Thursday. It was before the bar opened again that weekend. It was a two-hour meeting. Just going around either you said this you said that that's not true i didn't say any of that and so forth so after two hours i we just said you know what it's not we're not going to discuss this anymore you did it you if you did it to us you did it to other people and the thing is is that you did it to the wrong person somebody who would speak up um from there on i decided to volunteer and join uh, be involved more with the center i joined the board of advisors I volunteered for like six hours for Pride, uh, just participated as much as I could. And then the position became available after a year or so and uh, decided to apply. And that I had shown so much initiative as a volunteer and as a board of advisor, um, they saw the work and what I could provide and substantially became a staff member. And then I also want to talk about um, some of your other personal experiences with LGBT youth. I know that the center helps LGBT youth and you said that in an interview that you were on your own at 15 and had to put yourself through college. How's your own experience, you know, being on your own kind of helped you be an ally for other LGBTQ youth? I know the struggle. Uh, I think a lot, a lot had to do with the struggle that individual that you go through, trying to find your next meal, um, trying to find, um, where you're going to sleep at night and also trying not to get caught. And I say that because I can only speak on my experience. Um, growing up, I knew that if you were in foster care, if you were in a shelter, you were limited or other people had to take your decisions for you and you really didn't have a say. And that was my kind of thing that I did not want somebody to di dictate my life or decisions that I knew what I wanted, where I was going. And so I had to keep undercover so many things. So I know the struggles of trying to keep things undercover. Who, who can you trust? Um, what to say, what to who? Um, and the finding your next meal, like there were times where I would only eat at the cafeteria and that was all I ate the rest of the day during high school. Um, couch surfing as well. Sometimes I would find a couch. Other times I did find myself sleeping on the playground or under a bridge next to my high school or uh, in the ditch uh, in the woods because um, it was in West Tulsa, uh, Webster. And so I, 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 I can really resemble or I can really identify with, with stories and what they're going through and um, their survival techniques, what they had to do to survive 
Um, and that's why I'm a big advocate for individual, for our homeless population, our youth, um, what they're struggling, how they're hiding, um, who, what adult to trust and what to say to them. Um, I hope that answered your question, sorry. I went. No, yeah, no, yeah, it does. And have your parents try to reconcile with you at all? Yes, yeah, so from 15 to about 24, 24, 25, um, my dad and family came back into the picture. Um, I accepted it with open arms. I didn't hold a, I don't hold grudges or um, any resentment against them uh, or anger. Um, it shaped me who I am today. I am, I do, I feel like I do have a really resilient spirit and energy, and that's kind of what I want to um, inspire other youth and anybody who's going through a difficult time that you can get through it. Um, it's a mindset and to keep your heart pure and and I see it as this pure red, um, you know, pulsing organ. If you want to keep it just pure and red, don't hold grudges, forgive and move on. So you don't darken your heart. Um, so yeah, I'm, I, do, I do have a good connection with my father now, uh, with family members. They all know the work that I do and they support it. Um, and anytime like um, that somebody said something against me or says something homophobic, they're ready to pounce and um, stick up for me. So I, I like for that support. You know, it gets it, 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 the same. It gets better later. It gets better, or you know. Um, and you did stay. Time. You did stay connected to your family. You didn't totally cut them off, even no. though they rejected you. Mm -hmm. And eventually, they did come around. Um, but it was a long, difficult process. It was. It is hard, uh, you know, by yourself and doing all of that. But, um, you know, things happen for a reason and um, they had to learn. That was their experience that they needed to learn acceptance and I needed to learn forgiveness. Mm -hmm. Wow. And are they now um, actively involved in your life? Do they, do they go to like pride parades or anything like that with you? Yeah, actually my, my father came to the pride parade uh, last year, two years ago. Um, since I came out, two other family members have come out wow. and, um, one time we were out and just having a good time and we spent the whole weekend together, us three and, um, they, them in tears, they said, you know, I know that I already knew cause it was an older cousin. She said, she, she mentioned, I already knew that I was lesbian and I was too scared to come out. And when you came out and I saw what they did to you, I kind of went back into the closet even deeper. And now that I, they accept you, I came out and um, that they just thanked and said, yeah, I know that, that that must have been hard on you and doing it alone. And I should have reached out. But, um, but now there's two, there's three of us and um, we're educating the nieces and nephews and the smaller generation that it is okay. You have a gay uncle, you have a bisexual uncle and a lesbian cousin, a lesbian aunt and it's okay, you see that it's just family. And so we're changing mindsets from an early age now. Mm -hmm. And going back to just like making change in Oklahoma, I know that um, you had said that you'd been hate crimed out of Walgreens in Tulsa, right? And you can try to file it. It was, they were only able to take the racial hate crime, but they weren't able to file the LGBT, LGBTQ hate crime aspect as well. Can you tell us a little more about that and why you weren't able to file the other part as well? Yeah. Um... I believe that happened in 2016, I want to say, 2016, 17. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yes, it was. Um, it was at um, at Walgreens. I was sick. Went in for some medication. I was wearing the um, Revolution Pride T-shirt that the center had designed and created, and somebody didn't like that I was wearing that, and insults started. Uh, in the community, we use, when we do training conflicts, we always say just don't, do not um, engage with protesters. Do not engage with people who um are throwing vicious acts at you just ignore them move on your way and that's usually what i did but i the individual didn't like that that's the attack started physical and car damaging and so um it, it was a scary moment and whenever the we, the cops did show up toby jenkins uh, was there by the by that time um after i got off 911 um off the phone um when we were doing the report he said, well, we will consider it a hate crime because they used racial slurs. Um, can't, we cannot use it, we cannot classify it as a hate crime with um, the homophobic slurs that they said. And at that time, I felt uh, that only half of who I was was protected. And um, that do I have to live in fear that every time that I get attacked, they say some racial slurs or any other protected class and not technically just wearing a rainbow shirt or um, for who I'm holding hands with. Um, so that, that was fearful. And I'll, I'll let Toby um, talk a little bit about why that's not a protected class in Oklahoma. Mm -hmm. Well, presently, we don't have sexual orientation, gender identity expression as part of our protected class. In fact, we've introduced it at the state capitol seven times. Wow. And it's been, it's never made it out of committee. And uh, at legislators actively, when the Matthew Beard, Matthew Bird, uh, Matthew Shepard, um, Bird hate crimes, federal hate crimes legislation was passed, legislators introduced a bill that if law enforcement or a prosecutor tried to use that, then they would be committing a crime. And so they actively tried to uh, resist uh, recognizing that an individual can be a victim of assault or vandalism or murder because of their sexual orientation, gender identity, and expression. And so um, we, we believe that uh, Oklahoma should add those protected classes because we can document that LGBTQ people do experience harassment, discrimination, violent acts, and murder uh, and it's a documented biased, uh, hate biased action uh, on a regular basis. Um, I mean, the center, the Equality Center, has been vandalized seven times in the last four years under the Trump administration. Um, my, my car was vandalized. I had somebody throw a 72 pound, 72 pound boulder through um, my car window. I had a stalker who decided they had found Jesus and decided that it was their mission to kill me because I was leading people astray. Um, we had Dustin Parker who was murdered on January 1st, 2020, he became the first transgender victim of 2020. He was a part of our chapter work and Mark Allister was one of the founding members, was an open trans man and was working for a gay owned company and was murdered um, at 4 a.m. in McAllister, Oklahoma on January 1st. And if uh, that uh, perpetrator of that, that murder is arrested, 
um, under Oklahoma law, they will not be charged with uh, a hate crime. Uh, and so we believe that it's essential that this be on the record, on the docket, uh, that prosecutors have the option uh, to be able to charge somebody with a hate bias crime. You know, when you kill somebody, you're killed, and so you're, you're prosecuted for killing somebody. But is there, you know, we all as humans, we want to know, you know, if you get sick, you want to know what that person did. If somebody, a close friend of yours gets sick, you want to know what they did to put them at risk to get sick. If somebody gets hurt, you want to know what they did. We're just by nature looking for how can we reduce our odds so that we won't be the same person. And we, we know that uh, when it comes to prosecution, um, that everybody is looking for, there's a reason for this action to have happened. Was it a domestic violence? Was it a, a criminal activity where they went in and robbed a bank or was somebody driving negligently? Or did somebody, you know, leave a, a power cord, you know, and electrocute somebody accidentally? We always want to know why uh, this person died and what killed them. And so we believe that you should have those kind of documentations. Um, if you vandalize, a, you know, the Equality Center was vandalized on July 17, 2019, just last week, after a year, we finally finished up with the restoration of the Lynn Riggs mural. Lynn Riggs mural is highlighting the work of Lynn Riggs, uh, who is responsible for the Broadway musical Oklahoma and was a celebrated playwright in Oklahoma. There's a street named after him, but we tell his queer story that he was an openly gay man of the you know, Cherokee Nation, and we tell his story, and that was vandalized. It took us a year for us to finally get, um, to finally get that, uh, that, that, for that to be able to restore properly so that it could be protected from future vandalism. While we were working on getting that restored. I mean, they came in, sprayed abomination on it, stitched up his mouth. The city of Tulsa showed up to write us a, a ticket to ticket us because we had vandalism. The, build the building had been graffitied and we hadn't got it cleaned up in 30 days. And so the city of Tulsa has a vandalism code that if you get your, if your building gets vandalized, um, and Oklahoma City does too, so <laughs> if your building gets vandalized, and you don't get the graffiti removed, then you get you get uh, second you get victimized again. And so we're trying to actually change that and use that as the leverage to emphasize they targeted us because of their bias. And then the city came back and targeted us again and made the re-victimization. And that's why in law enforcement and prosecution in the court system, we don't want LGBTQ people to be re-victimized. And that's why we believe the hate crime uh, portion of the prosecution needs to be a part of Oklahoma statute. Oh, and then I, go oh, ahead, go I was going to say, uh, I read somewhere that the center had also gotten shot up, shot up. Like there's at least like 14 bullet holes in the center. And even then you guys had to report it as vandalism, not yeah. a hate crime. It will be prosecuted as vandalism. And, and have you that's an attack that like many of our community members thought that was attack, an attack of terrorism. They're trying to terrorize a community. Mm -hmm. And have you reached out to the Tulsa mayor or anyone in the local community? And have they responded at all to your oh, on, on hate crime legislation? Mm -hmm. 
this one has drove them nuts. They don't even want to look him directly in the eye because he's repeatedly, I mean, it's been one of the projects that's on his to-do list is to get our city of Tulsa, our council and our mayor's office uh, to at least let the city of Tulsa have a hate crime statute. I, I don't know how close we are. Um, they acknowledge uh, that it was something that could be done within the city of Tulsa, uh, but they've not been super responsive to getting it done, or they would have had it done because they've certainly had examples. I mean, we're less than six blocks from City Hall, and uh, the center is used for about everything in the, I mean, the mayor and almost all the city council have been here before. They're very familiar with it. I mean, whenever the center was vandalized, the mayor of Tulsa, he took and changed his picture to raise the awareness of Lynn Riggs. So, I mean, it's, it's always, um, it is always ironic when people try to hurt you and silence you or people target a particular group, they always end up hitting innocent victims. And the person they go after to hurt, uh, for whatever hate is in their heart, um, the, the influence and the power of love that come from that action of hate is eventually smothered. And people forget the names of the people who did the hate, but they remember the people who were hated. And so that's uh, one of the realities, I guess, the human race, is that we constantly have to resist our evil impulses our darkest natures and just our internal bias where we decide to hate somebody because of their race or their religion or their sexual orientation or um, their disability or their gender. And so it, it's a complicated uh, legal discussion because right now, if I was to burn down a mosque, that would be prosecuted as um, a hate crime in Oklahoma. But if you burnt down the Equality Center, it wouldn't be. You know, that's kind of a good segue into a couple of questions I have. You know, uh, as a nonprofit, I understand you guys can't like support a candidate and tell people which issues to vote on or bond issues and things like that. So I want to kind of focus this on your educational efforts that you do uh, in talking to people about legislative bills which are, are harmful to our community and i'm kind of remembering a lot of things you guys have done when the, the anti-trans issues come up in the legislature and the conversion therapy uh comes up and how you've educated people to about those those issues so on a couple of those things we that really the only restriction we have if we're not allowed to endorse a candidate we right. can advocate on any kind of bill or in, especially if it impacts uh, people that are defined within our mission uh, we can also support bond issues i mean one of the examples of that is tomorrow the city of tulsa will vote on a charter change uh to their it's a, it's the charter change which would remove uh, gender specific language from the city charter, which is over, you know, went back 50 years. And so it would add gender neutral language so that you didn't call them policemen, you just called them police officers, you chose gender neutral language, which we have really strongly supported. It's in all of our, our promotional information. We've pushed it on our Instagram, our social media, encouraging 
um, and you know, individuals in Tulsa to support this. So we can speak to those issues. We just can't endorse a candidate. Uh, but now all the candidates visit here, you know, and it's always amazing to see who's willing to come visit us and who's not willing to come visit. And so we're able to let people know, hey, this person came here. So I want Jose to talk about um, the uh, conversion therapy work uh, because you're kind of leading that. And then um, how we've been real strongly involved. I wish we had Alex on this call and he would talk about uh, the work we're trying to do on uh, the anti-trans legislation that we see introduced and then just making sure we're advocating for our transgender community. Well, like Toby said, yeah, whenever there is a bill um, that is pro-LGBT, we'll push it. We can, and we encourage people to do phone calls and letters to their representatives. The conversion therapy one that we heard, it did pass committee and that was great. That was a good step. We continued that work. Um, so unfortunately, I think that's all that we got to, to committee. I think they would have to wait again to um, resubmit. Some work that we're doing with conversion therapy here is support groups. I had started a support group um, earlier this year and due to COVID, we went ahead and moved it online in a partnership with Freedom Oklahoma and the Trevor Project now. And we're doing a statewide Zoom um, conversion, survivors of conversion therapy meeting. That'll be September 14th, Monday oh. at seven. And that's something that we're pushing. Uh, we need to elevate these stories, these experiences that even during, even 2020, it's still happening. Individuals um, are still going through this traumatic experience and um, there, there needs to be a ban. We need to protect um, our youth um, from this. Yeah. So purportedly one in five LGBT <clears throat> adults are registered to vote. So that's just 20%. Um, with those kind of numbers, do you guys in any way, are you able to encourage people in the LGBT community to get involved in the voting process? And how do you go about doing that? Yeah, we have um, voters registration downstairs. We, we registered somebody today. <laughs> yeah, we register. Uh, we have a notarizer here. Also, okay. she notarized several ballots already. Um, so we, we are big advocates and pushers on that, on voting. Uh, and then, Vote pushers. Vote pushers, I yeah. Like that. And then we we always get calls uh, asking about um, their precinct and stuff, and we quickly pull up online, give them that information. They call us and not the election election board. board. Yeah, we think there must be some kind of Google search number wrong because we get the calls that the election board should be getting. Yeah. You know? oh. But um, I, Robin, um, yeah. when you were just a little girl. They. <laughs> The Gailey did a story on uh, me back in 2004, where I registered 11,000 people to vote in the 2004 election. At that time, I held Tulsa County's record for having the largest voter drive. And the, the, uh, the Gailey did a story on, now this was long, you were just a little young lady during yeah, that sure. time, but this, this was still, back in, this is back lady. in history. And uh, so, um, we really take it serious around here on is it September 22nd, we're going to do the voter drives mm -hmm. where the staff is going to go out and we're going to be in the parking lots of grocery stores encouraging people 
uh, to right. register to vote. Uh, we're not going to just ask if they're LGBTQ or if they're Republican or Democrat. We're just going to register, you know, anybody because we believe that that's your first step. And so um, I participated in um, the protest supporting the post office this past week uh, with, I cannot remember the group it was with, but I was there supporting uh, the protest where we support the post office and make sure that we don't want to have our mail-in uh, ballots, uh, any impediment in getting those received. Not, de yeah, not delivered. So another way I know you guys encourage LGBT, particularly youth, is uh, you guys host Equality Day at the state capitol. If you would tell everyone a little more about this annual event and how many people show up and what kind of things do you teach the uh, attendees to, to advocate for and how? So in April, usually it's in May or April, we take about 100, about 100 youth to the state capitol and educate them on who's their representative, how to look up your representative, how to speak to them, where, where's their office, how the capital system works. Um, let them express their concerns, their worries, and ask their representatives to stand against this anti-LGBT bill or stand for this pro-LGBTQ bill, as well as um, get, get to go into um, main hall and listen to how it is voted, how, how, how their representatives are doing all of it, and also some recognition. Toby's always uh, making sure that um, one senator calls out that we have a bunch of youth from Tulsa, LGBTQ, from the Equality Center, and make sure that they're there, present, hearing, and that they represent the, these uh, young individuals as well. Yeah, I know you guys bring at least one bus load. So we had taken youth to the Capitol, and we had about 150 youth, and um, we had just sat down to, to we went, we were having lunch early at about 11 o'clock, sitting there on the steps right outside the visitor center. And then we were told, I don't know if I'm allowed to share this, Robin, but we were told. By me. Okay, so I can yeah. say that. Oh yeah, okay. no. Oh, yeah. no. Yeah, so then we were told by Robin, she sent us this email that had been circulated by the speaker of the house that had said um, there were cross-dressers in the building and that if you felt threatened or unsafe in the bathrooms, you could use the bathrooms in the legislators' bathrooms. So here I had high school students uh, from across the region, and it's not just Tulsans, because we have kids from our chapters who join us too there. It's not just, you know, kids from Tulsa, um, but they're from, we'll have kids from McAllister and Bartlesville, and uh, many, we've had kids from Enid join us. Anyway, so, we, uh, I just, I just couldn't believe that that had happened. I mean, this is what our students deal with every day in the hallways of Oklahoma in their high schools, hallway high schools. And uh, here they're dealing with this in the hallways of the Capitol. And so Robin, we've always been grateful that you saw that as an injustice. And of course, then those young people just turned into an army. I mean, mm -hmm. at one point they were chasing the Lieutenant Governor across the rotunda yeah. and he was running from them. And of course, the Speaker of the House, he hit out. And um, that particular day, by because of Robin's uh, bring, breaking that story, uh, that was on every TV channel uh, across the country. I mean, it was picked up by 
the National Gay Press and uh, other people saw that. And so we've always been so grateful for Robin um, because um, she brought that to our attention that our, our students, our kids, our youth were being harassed uh, by our legislators uh, and, and made fun of and called names and things like that, just like um, they experience every day in the hallways of Oklahoma high schools. And ironically, there you were in the state capitol advocating for this th these kinds of things not to be allowed, and they right. happened right there in our state house. By our elected officials. By our elected officials. Are uneducated, but now educated about this issue. Yeah, uh, uh, yeah within, within three days, Robin, you remember the rest of the story is you were able to report that the speaker had apologized. Right. <laughs> for right. Or right. saying that, and so, and, th and well, that same speaker has now visited the Equality Center. So, oh, I did not know that. That's fantastic. So, most recently on an e blast, and I'm sure you have this on other parts of your website, etc. There's a banner citing that you acknowledge that the Dennis Arneal Equality Center sits on Muskogee land. Why are you pointing that out now? Well, we felt like with the McGirt decision that was handed down where the reservations, now we had been talking about quite some time. We have a program here called a DigiQueer. You know, for years we were involved in what was called the Two-Spirit Movement and the Equality Center hosted one of the largest uh, Two-Spirit gatherings in the country. We did that for almost 20 years. And so we now have kind of moved towards, especially our young native indigenous First Nation, um, uh, the, young adult uh, folks, they prefer uh, the word queer. That's not my word, that's the word they like. And so we created a program that we called IndigiQueer. So we have for quite some time. We knew we needed to roll that out and acknowledge it, but we were looking at doing it as a, a, um, a place in the center. When you look at our Native American display, uh, that you would see that, that we acknowledge that. Um, I mean, if I go to Circle Cinema, I, I see it. I've saw it other places and have oh. done it. But when the McGirt decision was handed down to the Supreme Court where it said that the reservations of the, the nations are still in place and they've not been dissolved, Congress has not dissolved them, it became clear to us that we had to acknowledge that we sit on the land of the Muscogee Creek. And um, the Equality Center is just like within almost a stone's throw of the Cherokee Nation. I mean, we're we're on this side of Admiral, but less than a block, uh, two blocks away is uh, the chair where the Cherokee Nation divides. And then the city of Tulsa sits, you know, at the crossroads of the Osage, the Cherokee, and the Creek Muskogee. And so um, Muskogee Creek. So we felt like it was time since the Supreme Court reminded us all that those those reservations have not been dissolved by Congress. Uh, that we acknowledge that. And before we end this podcast, we always like to ask our guests a simple question. Are you proud to be an Oklahoman? And if so, why? <laughs> um, I, I am proud. I am proud of being Oklahoma, from Oklahoma. I've been born and raised here, first generation, families from Mexico, just as much as I'm proud to be Mexican. Um, I am proud because fan, the people here are kind and, um, and that Southern love 
and a sense of community. I've been able to find a sense of community here in Tulsa, um, a circle of individuals that believe that I do need rights, that I do need protection. And I think what inspires me the most is the center does not receive any federal funds, state funds, or city funds. It's the community who funds the programs, the community who funds our, my, our positions, our um, resources to help the, the very own community that we help. So I, I'm proud to be from, from Tulsa and Oklahoma where community is important and help thy neighbor. So my experience is I come from, a, I've been in Oklahoma. My family's been here since the 1840s. And um, I can visit my family cemetery uh, going back uh, several generations where I'm visiting the graves of ancestors who've been here. Uh, originally, we came here on um, the uh, Choctaw. Uh, we were part of the removal and were brought here. And then my rest of my family came here as Irish Jews who immigrated up through Galveston and settled in Southwest Oklahoma. And in those days it was called um, Greer County, Texas. And then when Oklahoma became a state, Oklahoma sued Texas for that portion. So most of you, your viewers won't even know this, but Hollis, Oklahoma, it's as far west and as far south as you can go. That's where me and my people are from. And so I grew up in a household where my parents were strong, strong advocates for marginalized individuals. I grew up with my parents being very adamant that uh, uh, black uh, kids deserve the same rights of education, access to education. They were very strongly in favor of integration. I grew up in a family where my parents were very concerned about the rights of migrant workers. They also were very right, concerned about Native American issues and women's uh, uh, access to health care and and so that's the way I grew up and so for me if I left Oklahoma I feel like I would be turning my back on my family's vision to help Oklahoma be a better place and I was fortunate you know my parents figured it out this kid and their family was different than the other kids and they did their best to help me but I ignored them I did not I you know had internalized homophobia and I didn't want to be like that so I went the other direction and so I tried to get as far away from Oklahoma and I've lived all over the world. Um, I've lived in Europe and I've lived in Africa and I've lived in many other states. And I uh, had to come home because there's something about this is Oklahoma. I like the way we think, the way we talk. And um, I love uh, chicken fried steak and I love fried, you know, fried potatoes. And I love fry bread and uh, chocolate gravy and biscuits, and probably most of your audience doesn't even know what that is, but that's what I grew up with. My Choctaw grandma filling chocolate, cooking chocolate gravy and biscuits, and I still serve it to my family on Christmas. And so I've lived other places and I saw what is being done. And as an openly LGBT person, you know, I came out in the 90s, was fired by an elected official. Uh, when I came out, I was kicked out of the biggest church in town, disowned by my siblings and the Oklahoma legislators had a bill that would have stripped me of the rights to have custody of my children. And I turned to this organization in the 90s and they helped me fight for me to have custody rights for my children. So they've had my loyalty ever since. And there have been many times when I've toured other places and went and lived other places 
And, you know, I was offered jobs by the Obama administration and I get, you know, job opportunities to go work in LGBT centers across the country. I don't think I can leave the middle of the country. They don't need my help on the West Coast. They don't need my help on the East Coast. I need to stay here to make a difference. And um, my vision now at this time in my life is that I want to make um, it is easy for younger LGBTQ people to make a difference, to give them the support they need, to elevate their voices, and to be able to pass on the baton if we have to drag Oklahoma kicking and screaming into equality inclusion, I'm willing to do that. I'm willing to stay until uh, we've got the job done. Wow, there are some great things going on in Tulsa. I had no idea. You know, Alex, I've admired the work of Oklahomans for Equality for years. In fact, as you heard, long before I became the editor of The Gailey, I knew Toby and all the work he's done there with advocacy, education, programming. He is just so great for that position. He lives it and he loves it. And that really shows. Through the years, they've had a lot of great staff, but I, I gotta say, Jose is one of my special ones. He's, uh, he's just all around an amazing human being. You know, I really enjoyed getting to know them better and learn more about OKEQ. And I wanna leave our audience with a few questions. So how did you feel about the stats on registered LGBTQ plus voters? Were you surprised by the low numbers of us registered? Also, what did you think about Jose's experience growing up gay in Oklahoma? We'd love to hear your thoughts in the comments section below. So that wraps up another episode of the Gailey Podcast. Once again, I'm Robin, your host. And I'm Alex, your producer and co-host. Catch you next time.